Let's all stand together uh, this morning at this time. We're going to be looking in Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, a message I call, Do Not Throw Away Your Confidence. You'll see why. Therefore, there it is. Do not throw away your confidence, which will be greatly rewarded. For you need patience, so that after you have done the will of God, you will receive the promise. And may God bless the reading of His Word today as my prayer. You may be seated. <clears throat> Do not throw away your confidence. This message will be built around the instruction of this passage uh, that calls us to hold on to our confidence. Don't throw it away. And might I suggest to you that if we don't throw it away, we're holding on to it. Hold on to your confidence while we wait for the promise and the great reward. Now the situation of the text is very clearly explained for us in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 32. Remember the former days after you were enlightened in which you endured a great struggle of afflictions. In part while you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and afflictions. In part you became companions of those who were so abused. For you had compassion on me and my chains and joyfully endured the confiscation of your property, knowing that you have in heaven a better and enduring possession for yourselves. See, these Hebrew believers had experienced a time of persecution. Uh, they'd become believers in Christ, received Him as their Savior, and they began then to endure reproaches. And that word means that they were rebuked, they were censured, they were scorned, they faced disgrace, disapproval, disapproval and were discredited uh, because of their faith. Now this is an experience that we know all too well in our world today uh, as Christians and as believers in Christ. In the New Testament era, this had taken the next logical step. It wasn't just about marginalizing people, uh, ridiculing people, uh, disgracing people because of what they believed and because sometimes of what even they don't believe. We don't believe what the culture demands or they didn't, and we know that too. We do believe what the culture does not approve of. And so we're on both sides of that, so were they. And as a result of that, they faced that rebuke, that scorn, the hostility of their culture. But then it went further. Uh, at least one of them uh, had been put in prison because of that. And that was the writer. Because he talks to them about how that you had befriended me in my chains. And so it's one thing to be rebuked and scorned and discredited. But these people had not wavered in their faith to the point that even when they saw their leaders being rebuked and scorned, even put in prison, they stood with them. They stood with them. I tried to think back to that long ago time in my own life in the high school days when someone became the target. And by becoming the target, they were the person who was being ridiculed and scorned and put down and laughed out. Uh, they had been shunned by the popular crowd. It's hard to stand with that person when you know that standing with them means that you're going to face that same kind of ridicule and hostility and be ostracized. 
But this is peer pressure on steroids. This was a people who were losing their liberty. But not only that, but because they stood with Jesus Christ and they stood with their spiritual leaders, the writer says that you have also endured the confiscation of your property. That is, they lost their houses, their possessions, their businesses, their livelihood. They experienced the confiscation of their goods. You know, about all that they can take away from us is our, our, our life, our, our liberty, and our livelihood. I mean, those three things. So if they were taking away their uh, livelihood and taking away their liberty, that left them with their life. But you can only imagine what kind of quality of life they had left. When they were living under the threat of imprisonment, they had their goods confiscated. They'd been ostracized by their community, rebuked and censured. But the good news was these believers had endured that. They had gone through that and their faith was intact. Now we can see them. They, they've rebuilt. They've started over. They've gone on. They, uh, they've got up a new place. Uh, maybe they've moved to a new town. Maybe, I, I don't know, but they had gotten through that. And their faith was intact. But they're about to go through it again. And now there's a really big question as to whether their faith will stay intact through this latest round of persecution. We know what that's like. I mean, it's one thing, and I've, I, I saw this with my mom. It's one thing to go through chemo. It's another thing to go through it again. Once you know how bad it is and how bad it's going to make you feel and how sick you get, and you know then full well, it's one thing to go through it when you don't know what's coming. It's another thing to go through it when you know what's coming. And now these Hebrew believers, they, they had gone through this, there's implications in the text that this second round was going to be even worse. It's going to be even worse. The writer tells him in verse 37, For in yet a little while he who is to come will come and will not wait. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the saving of the soul. And then he goes on in chapter 11, verse 1, that famous passage, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the men of old obtained a good report. Perhaps it will give you a little better understanding about what Hebrews chapter 11 is all about, that great faith chapter, when you understand the context of this passage. The writer is worried that these people's faith may not emerge victorious through this second round of persecution. Now he's going to go back all the way to the book of Habakkuk chapter 2 and bring up that famous passage about the just shall live uh, by his faith and really all of that. And yet a little while he who is to come will come and will not wait. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back my soul shall have no pleasure in him. Actually, that's a quote from the book of Habakkuk chapter 2. But by bringing up uh, the possibility that they were going to live by their faith even as they were waiting for the promise and the promise of their deliverance was going to take on either one of two forms. Either they were going to be delivered by going to heaven or they were going to be delivered by the second coming of Christ. 
Does that put things in a little better perspective for you here in Hebrews chapter 10? Uh, sooner or later in life, all of us are going to face a situation from which we are only going to be delivered by either going to heaven or by the second coming of Christ. It's the only way it's going to get better. I mean, we can go to heaven or the second coming is going to happen. And that's really the way he framed his discussion here. Remember, we're talking about this time of persecution that was coming, and he was warning them about how serious this was going to be. It is within that framework, then, that we have our text this morning, which I want to read again for you to remind you of what it said. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which will be greatly rewarded for you need patience so that after you've done the will of God, you will receive the promise. He's concerned, you see, that they hold on to their confidence, that they hold on to their faith. The faith that had got them through that time before would get them through this time too. The faith that had enabled them to get the victory over their circumstances before would get them through this. And so he's saying, you hold on to your faith. Don't throw it away. Even if you're looking at one of those times that's only going to get better. By either going to heaven or when Jesus comes. I don't mind telling you this morning that when I look around this world today, I'm not a prophet of doom and gloom. I'm just going to be real with you this morning. When I look around this world today, I see more and more problems that only Jesus is going to fix. Are you with me today? And I believe, and I know you do too, we believe that Jesus is indeed coming. Now, if we put those two things together, only Jesus can fix this mess, and He is indeed coming. Then the question is, how do we live in the meantime? And the answer is very clearly given to us, the just shall live by faith. That's how we do it. How do we live while we are facing these obstacles, facing this kind of hostility in the culture, facing uh, the approach of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. How do you live? You live by faith. The just shall live by his faith. We hold on to our faith. Even when our circumstances don't get better, living by faith means we hold on even though maybe the things that we called out to God about don't get better. You see, there, there is that kind of faith, and we know about it, the faith that gets us through a tough time, the faith that calls, causes us to call out to God for His help. Now, some of you new believers this morning may not have been to that time where you had to call out to God for help. But most of us has been around a few years can tell you there's been some times when we had to call out to God for help. When we go to God because there's no one else to turn to, when we know that we need help that only He can give us, and we cry out to Him because of a situation, we cry out to Him because of a circumstance, we cry out to Him because of what we're experiencing or enduring. Maybe it's something just like these Hebrew believers were experiencing or enduring. They were facing this hostility. They were crying out to God, but things were not getting better. They were getting worse. So there is that faith that causes us to cry out to God. But then this passage presents another aspect of our faith. The faith that causes us to continue to trust Him. To continue to live for Him. 
to continue to believe on him even when things don't happen the way we'd like to see them happen. There's a great example of this in Mark chapter 5. I don't have most of this. I'll just tell you a little bit about the story. There's a religious leader by the name of Jairus, and his daughter is sick, literally unto death. He seeks out Jesus. That was a big deal because, remember, he was a religious leader of the Jews. He's going to Jesus, and he does it publicly. He's not worried about that. My daughter's dying. He comes to Jesus, please, if you'll come lay hands on my daughter, I know she'll be healed. And Jesus goes with him. But as they're going, a crowd has crowded around them. And that, uh, it's kind of like fight on the playground, folks. I mean, everybody's saying, hey, like, we got to go see this. This is going to be good. <laughs> That's a religious leader. Jesus is going with him. Let's go see what's going to happen. There's a crowd of people. And suddenly Jesus stopped and asked an incredible question. Who touched me? The disciples would say, well, Lord, you're in a crowd of folks, a lot of people. No, somebody had touched him. Actually, she had touched the hem of his garden garment. It was a woman who'd had an issue of blood for 12 years. She had touched just the hem of his garment and had been healed. Now, remember, this is important business that they're on. There's a baby over here dying, 12 years old. And there's a woman here who's had an issue of blood for 12 years. Jesus calls her out and demands to know her story. And that's how we know that she had had this issue of blood for 12 years and she had been to doctors. I can only imagine how Jairus is feeling at this point. Man, this is a serious matter. My daughter is sick and you're going to stop and talk to this woman about every doctor visit she's had for the last 12 years? This is going to take a while. And besides, she's already healed. But as he finishes dealing with the woman, the message comes through. Don't trouble the master anymore, Jairus, your daughter's dead. It's at that time that Jesus gives them the incredible passage of Scripture. I love it. It's a great sermon. can't preach it all this morning. In verse 36, he said, Jesus said to Jairus, Do not be afraid, only believe. Do not be afraid. Only believe. I don't know whether it was just a block or two or a couple of miles. I have no way of knowing. The Bible doesn't tell us. But can you imagine every step they took that had to echo in the mind of Jairus? Do not be afraid. Only believe. You know how that story ends. If you've read it and studied about it in Bible school and, and Sunday school, you know that the story has a happy ending. Jesus got to the place where everybody was weeping and wailing about the dead little girl. And he says, no, don't cry out like that. She's only asleep. And then they laughed and he mocked him. But Jesus often used that euphemism for death to describe how temporary it was. He went into her and he said, took her by the hand, the Bible says, and said, Talitha, Kuma, little girl, get up. And she did. And then Jesus said, give this child something to eat. <laughs> Every parent of a 12-year-old knows why he said that. Give this baby something to eat. She was fine. What I want you to know is the story ended incredibly well. But it did not play out the way Jairus had hoped. He went to Jesus, asking him to go with him, lay hands on his daughter so 
her life would be saved. Imagine when the news comes, your baby's dead. Didn't go the way he had hoped, but it still turned out well. With that example then in mind and the difficulties being experienced by the people in Hebrews chapter 10, I I want us to consider the context of what it means to live by faith. To hold on to our faith and not throw our faith away. Even when the outcome of our faith is not apparent. When we can look around us and we can't see things are changing. When things are not working out the way that we don't. Do we hold on to our faith or do we throw it away? There's some key principles on how to hold on to your faith. The first one is found in the word confidence. Do not throw away your confidence. You see, these believers had great confidence, great faith that God would get them through. During that initial time of persecution and difficulty, God had gotten them through that. But now this other time of persecution is upon them. And so the writer calls them in verse 32 to call to remembrance, to remember the former days. Remember what God has done in the past. Remember how God got you through this before. I wish I'd kept a journal all my life. But I didn't. I started a couple of times and... You know, I'd I'd, I'd be pretty faithful for about five or six days, and then I'd skip a month, and then I'd skip a year, and I finally just gave up. I'm just not a journaler. But I wish I had been. Because there's great power, you see, when you're facing a time of difficulty to be able to go back and read the things that God got you through in the past. And the reason why I wish that I would have written them down is because now that I'm getting older, I've forgotten so much stuff. You know, it's amazing. Just when you need those memories, those memories are going away. I can't remember them. My wife, my kids all the time saying, Dad, don't you remember that? Don't you remember when this happened? No. <laughs> well, now that you mention it, I kind of do. But if they hadn't brought it up, I would have to tell you if we don't have it somewhere. A journal is a good thing. If you're not keeping one, keep one. Don't trust Facebook to do it for you. There's no telling what's going to happen to that thing before it's all over with. Write stuff down. God blesses you. Write it down. It helps us when we say, thank you, God. That helps us to remember. That's why when you look in the Scriptures, you'll find thanksgiving and prayer together over and over and over again so that when we go to God asking God for something new, we need to thank Him for what He has done because He has done some great things for us. Remember then how that God has brought you through these things before. Even when their property was confiscated, the Bible says you joyfully endured it. Now I can understand enduring having your property taken away, but joyfully? That was a big deal. Reminds me of what happened to the apostles in Acts chapter 5 when they were beaten and forbidden to preach anymore in the name of Jesus. And the Bible says that they went away rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer. Every time I read that, that expression, worthy to suffer, just burst in my mind. Not everybody's counted worthy to suffer. 
We don't usually think of our faith and, and of, of our service of the Lord Jesus Christ within the context of that framework. That God has counted us worthy to suffer. Uh, just sweep my eyes across this room and I don't have my glasses on or my contacts in so I can't see none of your faces today but if I could <laughs> I could be reminded of a lot of stories I can't point in any direction in this crowd today that I can't see people who have faced some unbelievable times of suffering I know you have more importantly God knows. God knows you have. He knows what you've gone through. Some of you are living it out every single day. Worthy to suffer. Not everybody is. But these people were counted worthy to suffer and they went away rejoicing. You see, we can't always control what happens to us, but we can control how we're going to respond to it. And when we can go through a time of difficulty and a time of suffering with a good attitude and still say, praise the Lord, that means a lot. This, what happened to them in Hebrews chapter 10 and enduring uh, joyfully the confiscation of their property reminds us of what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 10 as it presents a series of contrasts as sorrowful yet always rejoicing as poor yet making many rich as having nothing and yet possessing all things. Having nothing and yet possessing all things. One preacher pointed out that the devil would have a hard time with people like that because if he comes to us and says, you know, if you'll serve me, uh, I'll give you the world. But we can say to him, you know what, you don't have anything uh, for me because I have everything I need. I have all things. So maybe he flips it around and says, well, if you don't serve me, then I'll take away everything you have. You can say, well, I don't have anything. <laughs> Both those things are true. They're right here as having nothing and yet possessing all things. I have nothing because we're stewards of the blessings of God. And yet as a steward, we serve the King of kings and He makes sure that He has provided us with all things that we need. According to Israel, I have nothing and yet possess all things. The source of this great confidence God had brought them through these tough times in the past and taught them as He did it about the real nature of our possessions. The second word then is obedience. For you need patience so that after you have done the will of God, you'll receive the promise, obedience. Through this trial then, they continued to live by faith and waited on God to do what He had promised and while they were waiting on the Lord and, getting, and they were getting through this thing, they kept on obeying God. They continued serving God. And we notice that this morning because there's a great temptation for God's people in the midst of difficulties and trials to give up on the daily practice of our faith. We think it's not working. It hasn't done anything. Maybe it doesn't bring the outcome that you wanted then. Or even if it does, you say, well, I understand God is going to get me through. But it's easy to give us a, ourselves a pass for a while. Well, you know, I've, I've, I've been through some tough stuff. I've had some hard times. And I just want to take a little break for a while. 
Now, I understand everybody needs a vacation every now and then, but when it comes to making this decision, a week can turn into 10 years just like that. You know, and I know some good godly people loved Jesus, were once faithful to Jesus and served him well, but they went through a time they gave himself a break. And that break from serving Jesus is still going on years later. And so the writer admonishes these people not only to remember how that God had got them through in the past, but he tells them, you keep doing what you know that God wants you to do. Don't give in to that temptation. Don't give up. Don't quit. Keep doing what you know that God has called you to do. Simon Peter in 2 Peter chapter 2 tells that great story about uh, the hog that is washed, returns to the wallowing in the mire. And in so doing, he puts before us the, the essential nature of the choice that we have. We can either go on with God and keep serving Him, or we can go back. But when we go back, the writer tells us right here in Hebrews chapter 10 that we are going back to destruction. And if we refuse to go on with our faith, then what else do we have but to go back and continue to wallow in the misery that we had experienced that challenged our faith to begin with? And a lot of people choose to continue to live out that misery and that suffering when all the time they could go on and continue to be obedient to the Lord and continue to serve Him. So what does it mean to hold on to our faith, to live by faith? The just shall live by faith. Hold on to your faith. Hold on to your confidence. Well, number one, it means that we hold that very thing, our confidence, that is based on God's work in our life in the past. God's got us through before. We can count on Him to get us through this. And then obedience. Keep serving the Lord. Keep doing what the Lord has told you to do. And the last one, y'all might have thought I was going to skip this one. Uh -uh. It's patience. For you need patience. So that after you've done the will of God, you'll receive the promise. You need patience. This idea refers to a person who stays his course and continues in the faith even in the midst of great trials. It's the picture of a runner, a marathon runner, distance runner, who in the fatigue of the last stretch of the race looks out ahead and he sees a steep hill that he's got to get to the top of before he can cross the finish line. Patience in this passage speaks then of that runner who keeps going, even though there's a high hill to climb at the finish. How many of you know that some of the toughest crisis, crises of faith are going to come at the end of life? They are. Toughest battles. How old was Abraham when God sent him up on Mount Moriah to offer Isaac? He was a lot older than anybody in this building. Toughest battles of faith oftentimes are at the end. Another way this word was used, it was used in, in reference to the ancient sailors who sailed those great wind-driven sailing ships. 
For the sailor, of course, the problem is not an uphill struggle. For the sailor, the problem was the doldrums. The absence of wind. When they had patience, they kept their sails up. When they gave up, they were taking the sails down. So the issue for us today, do we need, is that we need patience. Are we going to stay faithful to God even though we have to go uphill toward the end? Will we keep our sails up even when the wind isn't blowing because we trust God? God's going to give it to us. The wind is going to come. God will supply my need. Do we keep our sails up or do we drop them down? Hebrews 10 verse 37 then says, Yet a little while... And he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Do you guys know this morning that God's little while is different than ours? I want to show you a great passage, Psalm 130 and verse 6. Psalm 130, verse 6. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. And you understand when God repeats himself, that's a, something we really need to pay careful attention to. Yes, yes, more than those who watch for the morning. My soul waits for the Lord more than those that watch for the morning. <clears throat> you know, the psalmist was a shepherd. And, and he was a shepherd in the days before they had any kind of light. And uh, the most they would have maybe a meager uh, little lamp or candle, uh, mostly lamp, olive oil lamps. And uh, they didn't even have those out in the wild. And we can only imagine what it must be like for the shepherd to be tending his sheep in the darkness, surrounded by the darkness. <laughs> have you ever been out at night and heard the coyotes howling? Huh? You ever heard that? I've been listening to that all my life, but I don't mind telling you when I'm out in the woods by myself and I hear the coyotes start, I'm really glad that I've got a rifle in my hand. Because <laughs> it just makes the hair stand up on your head if you got any hair. And, uh, or maybe on your arms. I can only imagine for the psalmist out at night and hearing the soft footfalls of padded feet out in the darkness, maybe the growls. And he knows the animals. Maybe, maybe he's heard the, the crackling of a stick or two in the darkness, and it's woke him up because he thinks that a thief is coming to steal the flock. He can't see him in the darkness. And he waits. What's he waiting for? <laughs> He's waiting for daylight. He's watching for the dawn. And when you're waiting for the dawn and you're waiting for the daylight, you know how that happens. I mean, you'll see that time where there's just a little bit of, of brightness, that first light we call it. Just a, just a hint. All of a sudden, I mean, you're looking to the eastern sky one minute and all you see is darkened stars. And you look back the next time and, and suddenly there's just a, a brightness that begins. And then it intensifies. <laughs> you look back again and... Man, all of a sudden, you know, you can kind of see it's morning is arriving long before the sun gets here. You know, the light approaches. 
The psalmist talks about one that waits on for the day. One who is waiting for the sunrise. And he said, my soul waits for the Lord more than one who waits for the sunrise. You know, whenever you're waiting for the sunrise, you're never disappointed. Everybody who waits for the sun to come up, guess what? It comes up. <laughs> it, it's never failed yet. It always tells you when it's getting close, even if you don't have a timepiece. There's nothing you can do no matter how much you want daylight to get here. You cannot speed it up. Set your watch up a couple of hours. Doesn't make a bit of difference. Daylight is going to come when it comes. You cannot speed it up. But it comes. And it never disappoints. So much so that to this day, we still say, well, just as sure as the sunrise. Well, I want to give you something more sure than the sunrise, and that is the faithfulness of our great God. Amen. You need patience. Patience like the person who is waiting for the dawn. We're already seeing when you're waiting on the Lord, you always know that there's always that glimpse of light that tells you He's not far away. The answer may not be what you expected. It may not be forthcoming. I'd be remiss today if I didn't tell you there's times when you're going to be driven to your knees and cry out to God to change your situation and nothing is going to change. Will you believe God even when your situation doesn't change? Will you keep believing God? Will you hold on to your faith? Will you keep believing God when the answer is, I'm going to fix this by taking you to heaven? Will you keep believing? You better, what else exactly is there to turn to? except our God. Will you keep believing? Even when he says, nothing's going to fix this, except the return of Christ to this earth. Will you believe it? That's the kind of faith that the writer of the book of Hebrews was calling God's people to a long, long time ago, and it is still the kind of faith that he calls us to. I am so grateful to be able to tell you today that our God is a miracle working God and God still changes things and God still works amazing things in the lives of His people. You and I could give testimony after testimony after testimony of the time when we have cried unto the Lord and He's heard me and He's delivered me out of all my problems. We could say like the psalmist, He picked me up out of the miry clay and He set my feet on the rock. We serve that God. But we also serve the God that says, hey, I've got you through some trials. There's more to come. And they're going to be worse. But the same faith that got you through before will get you through now. It's the message of Hebrews 10. Don't throw away your faith. Let's stand together, please.